it certainly adds um, another sense to sight, you know, and most of the people that I talk to, you can see a logo, but um, sound really helps you to feel a logo. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Dr. David Allen. My next guest is professor of marketing at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He has a BA in communications from American University, an MBA in marketing from St. Joe's, a PhD in mass media and communication from Temple University, and is currently pursuing a master's in legal studies in entertainment law from USC. He's a prolific writer with three books, Supersonic Logos and This Notes for You, both on Business Experts Press and Hit Play. Three book chapters having a lot to do with music, advertising, and marketing. Six music case studies, along with multiple journal articles. He also has his two podcasts, Marketing Musicology and the NFT PhD. Before academia, he spent over 20 years in radio as a DJ, PD, and GM. His name is David Allen, and he definitely knows a thing or two about how to market with sound. Stay tuned, because you and I are both going to be schooled. As always, if you have questions for my guest, you're welcome to reach out through the links in the show notes. And if you have questions for me, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com, where you'll find a lot of ways to get in touch. Plus, subscribing to the newsletter will let you know when the new podcasts are available. And now, here's my interview with Dr. David Allen. Thank you so much for joining me, David. I know this has been a long time coming. (laughs) It's a pleasure being here. I love to start off my interviews with a particular question because I I love the stories that it brings out in people. So I'm going to ask you as well, do you have an early memory of sound that moved you? There was always sound in the house, of course, um, some good, some not so good, I bet. But uh, my dad was uh, um, into music pretty early on and would play uh, vinyl. you know, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet and that kind of stuff. He wasn't a big Frank Sinatra fan. So I'm sure that was, um, that was playing in the house. And I have some memories of that. Um, my mom or my dad didn't sing to me. So I wish that's always a really good story, but I don't have it. Um, that's okay it's your story (laughs) we're talking about your story (laughs) you know i'm sure that uh you know they were singing hopefully they were singing happy birthday to me um um from uh, from an early age um but uh, then i was a big radio person so when i uh got old enough to to make my own uh, choices in the car um or at home or at night in my room it would have been a it would have been a disc jockey, I'm sure. So, That's great. Yeah. Well, I know that you got into sound in what you're doing now. So uh, what's your background in that? And what made you decide to get a PhD in marketing? Because that's, that's going the, the full mile. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it started with uh, me being at a college in Virginia, Randolph-Macon College. And I thought I was going to be a high school history teacher. And 
Uh, I thought I was going to coach high school soccer. Um, I wasn't playing. I got a C in American history. Um, I was the social chairman at my fraternity, Theta Chi. Shout out to all those brothers. And um, mom said, uh, you need to either get better grades or, or get another plan. And literally, I went back to my dorm room and said, okay, well, what do I like to do? And I was spinning records at the fraternity to save money because we didn't have band money. Uh, I was Disco Dave. And in late 77 and 78, and I said, I think I'll do that. And I transferred back to American University in DC and went into broadcast journalism, which was for serious journalists. Um, and Derek McGinty from PBS, who did a couple of presidents, and Tony Perkins, who was on ABC News um, and did weather there, I think, for a while on GMA. And uh, But all I wanted to do was be a disc jockey. So fast forward, um, started overnights in Oxford, Ohio, uh, did the disc jockey trail, uh, Ocean City, Richmond, Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, um, and then got fired in Richmond, got fired in Norfolk, and ended up in Philly at Power 99 um, FM. And When you say fired, I just, <laughs> I'm just curious about this, because I hear these kinds of stories from radio people all the time. Do you mean like they changed their format and they just didn't need you anymore? Or like what happened? <laughs> well, if you haven't been fired, if, you, if you're in radio and you haven't been fired, it's you haven't been fired yet. So <laughs> yeah. it's... Uh, it's a little bit like COVID, if you, but uh, that's another story. Yeah. And uh, so um, I did a bunch of years in Ocean City, Maryland, and I, I, I'm in black radio, urban contemporary. And I went to Richmond and I thought they were going to change the format to uh, more urban contemporary, which is actually it is now. And the owner had different ideas. So they let us all go. And after six months, and then I went to Norfolk, and they also were going to change the format. They were black music, younger black music then, and um, but the ratings, they fired me and then uh, to change the format, and then the ratings came out, and they were really good. Um, and so they kept the format, but not me, because by then I was on the way to uh, Philadelphia at Power 99, and... Um, had a good run, had good runs there, um, really good people, um, really great town, really great music, met lots of great people, um, became an operations manager and a VP of programming where I traveled across the country and I had really good markets like San Francisco and LA and Miami. So you got to see all the behind the scenes stuff. I did. I had little kids that uh, my wife had to take care of and um at some point i was like "Ooh, i really like this um it was really hard to leave but once i got on the road it was great um for me uh, evidently not so much for her because she told me to stop telling her where i was eating <laughs> and, and okay. who and who i was meeting i can sympathize <laughs> okay <laughs> so they um they uh, the next step for me would have been a general manager. They wouldn't make me a general manager because I was a program director and I was a disc jockey and salespeople are general managers. Program directors are not general managers. So I said, I'll show them. 
And Who I makes these rules? <laughs> <laughs> well, they were pretty prevalent for a while that, mm-hmm. uh, of you know, if you're not in sales and, you know, I was told many times you spend money and they make money. And ah, I see. Okay. I, I said, I'll show them. And I, I got an, <laughs> got an MBA um, and they made me general manager um, partly to get me out of Los Angeles because I was not doing what they wanted me to do with the program director that was there and they wanted her fired and I wouldn't fire her. Um, so became a general manager, had the MBA. And then as part of the MBA, I um, really thought about teaching again. And, and uh, I told someone and they told someone and someone called and said, do you want to teach? Um, I got an MBA in, in marketing. Um, and do you want, cause I'm a communication person. So that seemed close. Sure. Um, and then, so I got a, um, it's actually a pretty funny story and not very bright man. And I've just mentioned to someone that I'd like to teach. And I got a call from a Holy family university. It was Holy family college then. And it was on a Monday night in September. And they said, I understand that, that you're, a marketing professor. I said, sure, that's what I am. And they said, well, <laughs> come up and talk, okay. to, come up and talk to us. And I go, mm-hmm. okay, good. But don't come to my office. Meet me at classroom 200 at 630. Okay. And I get there and there's um, the chair of the department. He hands me a textbook and a syllabus and says, this is your class. Good luck. Oh, wow. And okay. I, wa- I walked in and I said, you poor people. wow talk about trial by fire yeah how did it go (laughs) i i'm sure it was awful for them (laughs) but (laughs) i'm sure but i i ended up there a couple of semesters so i've been too bad and then i came back to where i am now which is st joseph's university as a as an adjunct and radio started getting i made it all the way up to general manager and then the general manager job went away uh, certainly of a single station i had two stations they wanted they wanted me to be a market person which was fine um but then they brought in their own market person it started getting um pretty squirrely and mm. i was like yeah well, maybe i should do this teaching thing full time and i went to the to the dean of of uh, dean jangelo at saint joe's and i said uh, so i think i'd like to be full time and he goes uh, because you have to have a PhD to be tenured because you could be a visiting, but it's only a, you know, a semester by semester gig. And I said, yeah, okay. How do you get one of those PhD things? He goes, uh, (laughs) it's a young person's game. He he did not order it (laughs) over the internet. (laughs) He he denies all of this now, but he says, uh, it's a young person's game. And, and I go and and I'm not young. I was 38 at that time. 40. Wow. 40. Okay. That's, that and he seems goes, like a kid to me. <laughs> yeah. And he says, uh, but we like you and you know, you can teach a course every semester. And I said, I think I'm going to look into this PhD thing. He goes, okay. And so he's right. It is a young person's game, but I found a part-time uh, PhD program at Temple, which was, um, um, uh, mass media and communications, you could go part-time for two semesters and then you could go, then you had to commit. And so I, they didn't let me in the first year. 
um, it, there's a pattern in my life to tell me if you want me to really do something, tell me no. <laughs> or you, I'm seeing the pattern. Yes, or you, yeah. Or you, but good for you for persevering. Or you, or you can't. Or yeah. And so um, I didn't get in, and I figured out that I could take the intro PhD course as a continuing learner, and I showed up in the class. And so the teacher was going through the role, and she goes, uh, "Sir, I think you're in the wrong place." And I go, "Nope." And she goes, this is the intro PhD candidate uh, course. I go, I know. She goes, and you're on my roster. And I go, I know. She goes, that's funny. Let's talk afterwards. So she, <laughs> okay. she became a big, a big mentor of mine. And it was uh, so many funny stories. But we were walking out after class. She goes, well, what do you do? I go, well, I'm a general manager of a radio station. Mm -hmm. She goes, you probably make a lot of money. I go, I make a lot of money, but it's not going to be, I'm not going to make it for a long time. And at some level, it's not going to be worth it. And she goes, you're not going to make a lot of money over here. I go, that's okay. My wife owns a daycare. She, we're good. And, and we've got to the faculty parking lot where I paid to park. And it, that was, in those days, we general managers were driving Jaguars. They gave us Jaguars to drive. And I was next to her car which was a beater, like a really bad beater. And she goes, <laughs> oh, and she goes, well, this is my car and this is probably your car. And I go, it is my car. Uh -huh. And so anyway, so I did that. And uh, fast forward, you have to, when you get a PhD, you have to, you have to have a, um, an idea to do a dissertation on. Um, something that, you know, a dissertation is kind of, uh, as I was told, is like a relay race and you need to pick you need to take the baton and take it a lap. And so I was like, wow, what should I do? What do I like? And I was trying to bridge my old life with my new life. And Sting had just done a Jaguar commercial for Desert Rose. Um, and there was some publicity with it. And it had popular music and advertising. And I was like, wow, that's what I'll do. And so I did my dissertation on, on popular music and advertising and uh, was allowed to sort of bridge the gap um, between my old life and my new life and, st and still use all of that research, all of that now. So, Yeah, I'll bet you do. And it's only becoming more and more uh, in the media sort of area, like it's becoming more and more of a thing. It is. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much to the people that have taken the time to leave an honest review of this podcast. I know it takes a bit of effort to do, and I know how busy and, let's face it, kind of stressful our lives are right now. So it means a lot that you take the time to leave some feedback. Ran MCK writes, How important is sound? Jody covers all frequencies of sound through her research and her guests. Her interviews with Tal and Hamish provide insight on how audio can be heard, not just listened to. Jody's voice keeps you listening and want to hear more. I have become a better listener. Thank you, Ran MCK. I really appreciate your kind words. Now, back to the show. So I know you wrote a, a, a book on this as well, right? You, you wrote a, a book called Supersonic Logos? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first book was um, This Note's For You, and I wrote it, um, and I put my 20 favorite commercials with music in it, and Sting was in, well, Sting was in that. And yeah. 
I use that in my class. I teach a music marketing class and I use that in my class. And then um, when COVID was starting to hit and I was spending a lot of time at home, I was like, maybe I should do another book on, on audio logos and audio branding was getting, um, was getting a lot of attention then. Um, and then smart speakers were getting a lot of attention. So I was like, well, maybe mm-hmm. this is the next thing for me. And the way I write these books, uh, I try to talk to someone connected with every chapter. So it has to be the artist, the brand, somebody, somebody that was in the studio um, and everybody was home and everybody had a lot of time to talk. The perfect time <laughs> to ask for interviews. Yes. I read the book, so Thanks. it is really fascinating to hear what they have to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even some of the people like John Williams wouldn't, wouldn't talk to me because he, well, he felt like he had just talked too much uh, <laughs> okay. about Jaws. And, he, and mm-hmm. um, he was very, he was very cordial about it. He goes, you know, there's, there's so much stuff out there. I don't think that I have anything new to offer. And um, I talked to Mike Post for the for the Law and Order, uh, Cha-Ching, and they were friends. And he goes, oh, I'll talk to John. And then he came back and he says, you know, John just doesn't want to talk about it anymore. He's just tired of talking about it. And I was like, it's fine. I- <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's a bit of imposter syndrome? I mean, like, because he is worth all that. Like, I don't know why, why he wouldn't want to. Yeah, I don't know. And I still, I use, there's a plenty of stuff out there where Steven Spielberg talks about him um, mm-hmm. and, and at things. And, um, you know, I, I, I bought the rights to an interview um, that somebody did with him that asked primarily the same questions I ask. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like you, I, I try to get something that, you know, like your question of what's the first time you remember hearing sound i always ask you know what's the one funny or unusual story that no one knows about this music (laughs) and advertising or audio logo or something like that and they they do come up with um stuff when 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 people are forced to to be original they can be so sure um, it's a fascinating topic i mean you know i do a whole podcast on yeah it. i know i know, <laughs> so, I, know I mean I know. over 100 episodes I know, now I know. it's you're, not ending you're crazy you're crazy 100 100 and counting <laughs> it's a lot of fun though i i am finding that i am definitely learning something new every time i talk with someone so i you know every time that i have a new guest on i'm learning and i find it fascinating it's a fascinating subject which i'm sure is why you decided to get a phd in it <laughs> yeah i i i'm a big fan of I'm a perpetual learner and I'm a I'm, uh, highly intellectually curious, uh, more curious than intellectual. Um, but um, <laughs> I find myself learning from everyone I talk to in the audio branding space um, that I didn't know before. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of it. Well, what's getting back to the whole Sonic Logos thing, what do you think the use of it is good for? What do you think it's, it particularly takes care of? What does it do for us? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it certainly adds um, another sense to sight, you know, and most of the people that I talk to, you can see a logo, but um, sound really helps you to feel a logo. And so that sort of reinforces, 
you know, the, the idea that we're not using uh, enough of our senses on a, on a regular basis. And, and audio is a funny thing, you know, you, you probably see this stuff that I, you know, audio is back and audio is bigger than ever. I'm like, audio's always been big. Yeah, it never it, went it, anywhere. It, it, it needed, <laughs> I think it, it's somewhere it needed a PR campaign here and there. Yes. Yeah. To re- remind people that it was, um, I, I think it's more important than sight, but um, not surprising um, that I think that. But it, it We're just, a little biased. I know, I know. <laughs> just a touch. It, it does allow um, brands, especially, or shows or movies, to really have a deep dive on a person's um, total... Uh, integration of whatever they're doing into every sense possible. Um, and you've seen the research out there that, you know, is, you know, can sound, accentuate taste and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and it's just fascinating to me um, and continues to be fascinating to me. So. Yeah. I spoke with uh, Steve Keller in one of my earlier interviews. He's the uh, sonic strategy director over at SXM Media. Steve's, so Pandora and Steve's the Steve man. Keller. Steve's the yeah. He is the man. I, yeah. I so he, he yeah he's fantastic. He blew my mind regularly in that interview. I was amazed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but he talks a lot about how you can influence what you taste by what you hear. And they did a whole campaign for Propel. Um, back in the before days yeah. <laughs> um, through uh, Studio Resonate, which I guess is the yeah. um, the studio advertising agency through SXM. And yeah, they they were watching people as they were listening to something in their headphones and tasting this drink and, you know, dialing in how much sweet or salty they wanted and amazed at the fact that it was actually changing taste. And it's amazing. Our our brain works together. All our senses work together. And it's kind of, it's a really fascinating study on how very strange our brains are. <laughs> they are. And, they, and, and, and pretty um, underdeveloped yes. um, with what we require them to do. Uh, you know, I know that I say all the time, you're making my head hurt, but it's probably because... <laughs> of something that I've done over and over again and the new stuff never hurts your head. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, and Steve, you know, he speaks to my, my class every semester and he's, uh, he's the real deal. I met him through uh, the audio branding people in Austria, Germany, where it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. That would be, um, uh, we sound. Yeah. Would that be, uh, what do they call that? I'm, I'm drawing a blank on, uh, the name of that organization. Oh, the Audio Branding Academy. Yeah, the Academy. Is, that's how I. Yeah, 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 yeah. I interviewed them as well, actually. Yeah. Um, so Steve is, I think, episode nineteen and twenty. Wow. And I can't remember which. Um, uh, oh, Cornelius yes. is yeah. later on, but Cornelius and and Lars um, Ollendorf, I believe, right. is the music guy over at. Uh, at we sound and yeah they were they were fantastic too yeah yeah i'm it's just there's so much to learn but going back to almost the the jaws discussion um in the book i know that you mentioned that they turned off the sound while watching that film and it was almost comical yeah. and then you turn the sound back on and 
uh, the reaction is visceral. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and Spielberg gives John Williams, you know, like crazy amount of credit for mm-hmm. um, the audio selling that movie because it's a mechanical shark that really doesn't look like a shark. Um, we don't even see it until <laughs> yeah. almost the end of the film, yeah. right? And he, uh, it really makes the movie. And and you know, I in my in my class, my students, I do turn off the sound on that also, um, and I use uh, Titanic, um, where if you don't hear that music when she's having the dream, do you get the experience from the movie without the music and that kind of stuff? And um, it it really brings it home. Um, you know, there's plenty of research out there about scary movies and that kind of stuff that they wouldn't be as scary. They're not as scary without the sound. Um, oh yeah. It's the, yeah. the buildup and that kind of stuff that, that leads you to, to anticipate being frightened. So. And trailers too. Mm-hmm. I mean, trailers work the same way. If you're going to get that kind of experience from a trailer, a trailer, the sound is so important and it can change the entire feel of that trailer and make you think it's a completely different movie. <laughs> so important. I know. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's all it, it I think that the the people that realize that have been able to maximize that um, and continue to maximize that. I think that's why um, it's it's, you know, seemingly getting better every day. Yeah, so true. So who do you think needs a sonic identity as far as companies are concerned? Well, you know, most of the people that I talk to that are in the business think, Everyone needs one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they're very quick to point out that they shouldn't, you know, they, they shouldn't have one if they think it's just a logo. Um, well, you can't half-ass it. Yeah. You, you just can't. It's it's a lot of money to spend on something that isn't going to do what you want it to do then. And then you just think the whole thing failed. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. But, you know, the, the people that are in the space, you know, like Steve and Joel Beckerman at Man Made Music and a lot of them that, um, and a lot of the people in the book that, that came up with logos and that kind of stuff. Um, they, they just, you know, they just, they, they think that it just adds so much to the brand um, on another level that they'll never get from seemingly just sight or experience in using the product or service. Um, you know, MasterCard in a, big fan of Raja MasterCard and the things that he's done with um, Sonic branding at MasterCard um, is, you know, it, it works really well. It works really well, but it works really well when the consumer can experience it as part of a transaction. And so it's a no brainer to think that it would work. You know, you see commercials with Apple pay and that kind of stuff and you hear a sound and it, 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 it's a, it's it's reaffirming because you know it worked. Um, it's branding because the person next to you wonders what you have that they don't have. So there's a little FOMO there. Um, and it's something that other credit cards in this case don't have. So, you know, what and, and what's not to, to like about it? I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we have music on hold, sometimes mm-hmm. not very good music. That, that seems to <laughs> s- keep us occupied for a minute or two. And 
I have this discussion with a lot of people when I'm on other podcasts. I say, you know, look, if you're on hold music, if you're a high end jewelry store and you have an on hold that's 80s hairband music, that's that's wrong. That's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, I do like the people that have put some thought into it. Yeah. But, you know, and then, you know, plenty of research out there that the type of music in a waiting room either makes the waiting seem longer or shorter. Um, oh, good point. Yeah. Know, so music, music's all around us. Um, and um, utilizing it in other in new and exciting capacities um, is the way to go. And the smart speaker, you know, certainly uh, helps with people getting it, you know, mm -hmm. understanding that, oh, yeah, there's some audio there. And it's in well, my how do you house. differentiate yourself if all you're doing is hearing it? Yeah, right. That's it. That's all there is. <laughs> True, I know. And and so they're and and they're the ones that are that are doing it, like Steve Keller and and Raja at Mastercard and that kind of stuff. They're they're going so so deep into the entire, and then a lot of them are getting into into health. Um, Walter Rizal, oh, yeah. did the Intel and. And and Joel Beckerman and and Steve to a certain extent are looking at you know sounds in hospitals and how un, mm -hmm. unnerving all that is when buzzers are going off and and it's you know it's being ignored a lot of times by the hospital staff because they've heard it too much it's making the patient you know feel a tremendous amount of anxiety. Are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio branding strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while, totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. I have a fellow coming on, actually, in the podcast that's coming out Wednesday, um, a fellow named Michael Schutz, and he does work specifically at McMaster University, I believe, in helping to make the hospital alarms and beeps less um, annoying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, I think he said that his mother-in-law, who's a nurse, called it a beeping hellscape. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's really, it's it's a fun interview, and he had a lot of really interesting things to say, and most of them were that the quick cutoff of that sound is what is the most jarring. If you give it a little bit of decay, then it actually makes it more soothing than, not, not I, I mean, soothing would be going far, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at least more tolerable. Um, and he's um, he's a percussionist, yeah. so so he kind of lives in that world. It was a really interesting discussion. But yeah, I totally get that healthcare is a big thing as far as sound is concerned. Yeah, it could be so more. It, it could be so much more soothing. I mean, you know, 
if you know if I'm on a machine and I stop breathing, I want drums and you know electric guitar louder than it can ever be, and some kind of massive <laughs> buzzer and lights flashing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you know, if it's just sort of a you know, it's all good in here, little you know, a little smooth jazz, you know, would be great uh, to let me know. It that, would be nice, you know, and, and I could sort of sleep to that. So and. And then I, I think it's fascinating that they have to add sound. They're adding sound to electric cars because yes, <laughs> it's unsafe. The Leaf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Nissan Leaf, they actually made a playlist so you could play it in the car for your kids so you could get them to go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And It's really fascinating. And it's totally unsafe because you, you, if you can't hear the car coming, people are getting hit. And, you know, they... Um, they they needed to make a sound, whereas it wouldn't make a sound. Um, and then we get used to sounds, you know, inside of cars, and you know, most of them are not good um, because it signals that something's wrong usually, um, or that the temperature is thirty seven degrees. Um, <laughs> well, the rumble of the car is what put kids to sleep. Yeah. Right. So that's why they made a, a playlist for it. So you could play it inside the car so that the kids would be soothed. That's the best. But that's the best. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like you have to think outside the box to do that. So good on Nissan, yeah. you know. But yeah, there's all sorts of things. Like the way that a car door slams in a high-end car is different than it does in a lower-end car. Yep. Or, or, you know, even things like the Snapple pop. Like they're figuring out how to make that happen on plastic bottles yeah because it's so characteristic of their brand yeah it's so funny we did talk about that a, a student actually brought that to me uh, as as part of we have an article assignment like everybody else does and he he did it on snapple and how that you know he misses the glass bottle and the snap cap but his you know his mom surprisingly mom was fine with it because the plastic was you know safer and easier to transport and that kind of stuff so we got into a huge discussion about him wanting the <laughs> yeah. snapple cap he goes well i grew up on that cap i you know this is a 20 year old i grew up on that cap i go oh okay and he goes and i and i and i want it i want to hear it and that's that's why i buy it and he goes the soda doesn't taste as good um not because it's not out of glass, but because it doesn't make that pop. Interesting. And I'm like, wow, you're getting too deep for me for a college kid. I'm going to have to. Well, so it really does. <laughs> like what we hear really does influence what we taste. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And Coca-Cola figured that out long ago. I mean, that, you know. The, oh, yeah. Um, you know, all that goes with the Coke bottle and they're I'm a huge Coca-Cola audio branding fan um, and mm -hmm. all that they've done and. You know, they started with a bottle, um, so that it was sight, um, trademark the bottle, all that kind of stuff. And then the sound of the, you know, of the, the carbonation and that kind of stuff, you know. The pouring of the, yeah, yeah and the fizzing and yeah, yeah. So that, and it really does, that, that it's a, you know, it's the total experience that, you know, even hearing, you know, if you go to a soda fountain and you hear that, you know, or, or you go to a Wendy's or somewhere and you fill up your own drink, you know, that, that sound is, creates great anticipation of that, that this is a carbonated 
fountain drink that I haven't had in a very long time. And I remember when I was little and I had one of these and blah, blah, blah. So it, yeah. uh, it matters. So how did they translate that into their sonic logo, into their sound? Well, Coca-Cola put it as part of, you know, of, of what then led to their strategy in music, which is, you know, it, uh, they have those commercials where it's just the sound. You see the bottle and it's great animation and that kind of stuff. But their logos um, always took into consideration the, the sound of the cap opening and, um, and then the sound of what soda might sound like pouring. So um, they always, that, that was always uh, key to, you know, um, of anything they were, they were doing a Coca-Cola um, and then they were always big music people and have a big, a big music strategy too, of trying to create new stuff and all that kind of stuff. So. And why, because I'm curious about this, why did they think that a particular song would do this for them as opposed to a sonic brand, like an audio all over thing, as opposed to, it just seemed an interesting um, switch that happened at a certain point in advertising where they were going after popular songs as opposed to creating audio brands. Yeah. So Coke versus Pepsi. I mean, it's hard to talk about one without the other Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola um, wanted to create uh, either fine original artists and, and expose them um, to the world promotionally or to get other artists and have them come in and do you know, they had Motown come in and, and redo songs and put out that kind of stuff with the Coke brand. With a Diet Coke brand, they decided to go the Pepsi way, which is get the hot artists of the time. So, you know, Whitney Houston did a Diet Coke commercial um, with her music in it. And then Pepsi on the other side uh, still really wants uh, to get the hottest artist and have them, um, you know, brand um co-brand the the music with the soda um you know and and they're consistent in that it doesn't make one better than the other and you know, the pepsi halftime is huge now um which is a, just a further extension of that audio branding strategy coca-cola depends on who was there at any given time um would ebb and flow of what's you know always wanting to be cutting edge and what's next you know we we've done this and what we should do that. And um, so that I think that it's the same way that popular music and advertising sort of ebbs and flows with logos and with jingles. And if you get saturation in one, then it's marketing people. So they go, okay, well, let's not do that anymore. Let's do something completely different. Let's do this. And then, and if it's successful, then people jump on that, you know, it's, you know, in the record in the record industry, somebody gets a boy band, and then every label has to have a boy band, and then they get a acapella boy band, and then they they get a girl acapella girl band, and you know it's just kind of you see what's successful, but somebody has to do something first, and then everybody ends up following. And Coke gets high marks for for going first on a on a couple of things uh, on on many things audio. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. 
Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time. Thank you.